Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey, everybody. So excited to tell you some news that we have. So we've heard your feedback and <laughs> we are listening. Just know. I hope you know that. So Danae and I have done a bunch of week-long intensive retreats and we've gotten a lot of you reaching out saying, oh, it's so long. Can you do it shorter? Right. Mm. Um, feels like it's a lot of time to get away for some of you and we totally get that. So we've decided to do a condensed version of our retreats and we're going to bring it to you in a weekend. Yeah. You know what I love about this is we go to Idlewild, California pretty frequently and it feels like a retreat escape like into the woods and just like almost like summer camp. It's so much fun. And I love that we decided to sort of merge the work that we do in these intensive experiences with the fun that we have in Idlewild and um, just like being out in this like really beautiful setting together. Totally. So I'm actually going to invite y'all into my home and we are going <laughs> to have it at my house in my beautiful setting in Idlewild, California, July 14th through 16th. We're going to have a small number of spaces because it is going to be a more condensed version and there's less space than these giant ones that we usually do. So get on it if you're interested. But you know, you know what to expect. If you're listening to this, you know what Danae and I love to talk about. So there'll be <laughs> you all know the good how things. We do. <laughs> you know how we do. Codependency <laughs> recovery, um, interdependence, shadow work. Yes. 
all the things that we love to talk about at nauseum, but we're giving you an opportunity to dive in those deep waters with us and like really get in it in a pretty condensed weekend immersive. Yeah. So if you're interested, there is a longer, more detailed explanation of what to expect uh, at the link in both of our bios, either of our bios. So get on it, y'all. It's going to sell out quick July 14th through 16th in Idlewild, California. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Today's guest is our first in-person guest. <laughs> Obviously, if you're just listening to this, you won't know the difference. Maybe you will. I guess we'll, we'll see what it sounds like. Um, but Danae and I were super excited to have Stan Tacken over to my home, my home kind of studio slash office. And it was a totally different experience and one that we're hoping to do more of. But uh, let me introduce Stan to you. So Stan Tacken is a PsyD and an MFT. He's a clinician, teacher, and author who integrates neuroscience, attachment theory, and current therapies. He is a developer of a psychobiological approach to couple therapy, which they call PACT, P-A-C-T. And he and his wife, Tracy Boldman Tatkin, created the PACT Institute to train other psychotherapy psychotherapists in this methodology. Um, we forgot to have him say this in the actual episode, but if y'all listen and you want to get in touch with him, you can look up the pactinstitute.com. Uh, he is on Instagram as Dr. Stan Tatkin. Yeah. So this was such a fun conversation. First of all, Stan is hilarious, which is. I didn't really I don't know. I told why John I didn't, that. Like, expect him to be so funny, but I was like, you're like super funny. Which um, yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe it's like when someone has such a like science background and like the way that the brain works, you don't expect them to be hilarious. But he had us like rolling several times while he was over here. He was so fun and sweet and you know, it's it's interesting because I think um, several of like the people in um, the couples therapy world, like have done his trainings and um, you know, so I'm a little bit familiar with his teachings and I was a little bit like curious going in what our conversation would be like. I think Stan certainly from my perspective has a little bit um, more of an attachment based way of working than I think the two of us speak to or the way that we work with clients. But I thought it was really interesting getting to sort of go back and forth and see um, how he breaks down his perspectives, like when we're talking about it and like throwing some like, well, if this happened, then what would you do with this? And it was like, I thought we got to some really um, juicy points throughout the conversation. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a good example of... <sighs> take what works and leave what doesn't, meaning mm. there's so much of what I've read or listened to rather in some of Stan's previous books, because a lot of them are audio, um, around attachment that I have found so eye-opening and so helpful in understanding myself and understanding relational dynamics. Um, and so for that, I am like forever grateful. I mean, he has opened mm. my eyes in ways that any other attachment person I've listened to or read is not. Um, and also there is some stuff that you and I have been like, I don't know if that applies here or like, well, that feels a little bit like, you know, parentified or, or putting me into a parental role. And so what I loved about this conversation was to your point, there was so much about, um, I think getting him in person and maybe mm -hmm. having him explain his perspective was more helpful than just yeah. like reading it on a page. Um, I could understand, I think a lot more of like certain areas, like where he was coming from. Um, and also just like any of this stuff, shit. I mean, even just like the things that you and I talk about, take what works and leave what doesn't. Right. Um, and so 
I do think a lot of what he talks about is is really helpful in understanding the dynamics and couples, and I will continue to use it. So I'm I'm really grateful for him coming on the show. Yeah, that was a great conversation. Mm-hmm. We love Stan; he's hilarious. So enjoy. <laughs> wow! So today's an exciting day. Um, Vanessa and I are so unbelievably honored and excited to welcome Stan Tatkin to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Stan, thank you so much for being here. Thank um, you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like, yeah, where do we begin? I know that we have so many questions and things that we'd love to pick your brain about. Um, I want to start with, you know, as someone who works primarily as a couples therapist, I find that referrals can be kind of challenging because not every therapist loves working with couples. Um, so I'm curious to hear how you became a couples therapist. Um, how was that sort of the trajectory that you went down for yourself? You know, um, Looking backwards, everything makes sense. Mm. Going forward, nothing Always. does. <laughs> I, um, I I would never have thought that I'd be a couple therapist. I, I remember being uh, both in uh, a um, trainee and an intern at Southern California Counseling Center. Mm. Oh, gosh. She does have that connection. Me That's too. That's where she did hers. <laughs> and uh, I, that was a great center. I, I yeah. really have, a, I learned a lot there. Mm. And um uh, was Nancy uh, head of it, uh, Nancy Steiny at the time? No, or? I don't think she was head, but I know the name, so oh, she must have Nancy. somehow still been. Nancy. Um, uh, if, if if she's listening, I hope she's happy and healthy. Oh. Um, she was uh, she was a terrifying character. <laughs> and I so loved her and respected her. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was just one of those really serious people that if she called you in, it's like, oh, Uh-oh. that's not good. <laughs> Um, and I, I saw a couple at the center cause we were trained then to do a lot of group psychotherapy and systems. Mm-hmm. And so I saw this couple and, uh, we did it behind the one way mirror. Mm-hmm. I always get confused. Two way mirror, one way mirror, <laughs> three way mirror. <laughs> and, uh, and they were the couple from hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were, I thought they were sort of the, uh, the mini, uh, George and Martha, of you know, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? They were a terror, mm-hmm. and I swore off ever doing couples after that. Um, and I remember seeing them years later. They were in a movie theater, all lovey dovey, and I thought, yeah, they're going to, you know, they're a horrible couple, but they were going to survive everybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so just sometimes that's how. It yeah, uh, and so that I became a couple therapist is astonishing to me. Mm. Uh, I've, I've had such a trajectory that, um, I'm grateful for, and I wouldn't have known at the time what it had, what it would have added up to, but it added up to a lot. And when I, at a certain point in my career, after being mentored by, uh, Jim Masterson, um, the Masterson Institute, because I had to, (laughs) I, I was, I was, I would go home. I was working inpatient. I would go home in tears mm. because I finally discovered what it meant to be on the wrong side of things and as a group therapist, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I had enjoyed, you know, being loved, you know, and, uh, and being popular. And then I, then I, I discovered the opposite mm-hmm. and that I, you know, that there were people that wanted me hung every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was at the, uh, when I was working for John Bradshaw and, um, and I just, oh man, 
I thought I wouldn't survive this. And so I was attracted. I know I'm taking a long way around here. Sorry. I love it. <laughs> um, I was really attracted and, and afraid of Masterson because of, uh, you know, disorders of the self and um, very different than what you got at Antioch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and so that saved my career, actually. Mm-hmm. I... Uh, did it badly in the beginning because when understanding any complex theory, um, people mangle it and use it for their own defenses, which I did, Hmm. which was fine for me because I, you know, I started to think differently about my work and I, uh, I, and then, so I started to specialize Hmm. in personality disorders, which is a weird specialty because, you know, it's not, the things you can advertise for yep. and but you your friends and colleagues start sending you everybody mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just like when when I, I directed an outpatient drug and alcohol program for a charter um people started sending me their addicts which i i, I found that I, that was not really the population i wanted to continue working with especially in private practice so mm-hmm. similar you know in in private practice with disorders of the self I, uh, the next person that I studied with, Alan Shore, uh, introduced me to neuroscience and to infant brain development mm-hmm. and arousal regulation theory. Mm-hmm. And so it, that opened me to a whole other world of people um, in the neuroscience field, in the infant attachment world. Mm-hmm. And um, I, uh, I came across the, um, the Watch, Wait, and Wonder program uh, directed by the the Muirs, uh, mm-hmm. Elizabeth and Roy Muir, at the time, uh, the Hinks Institute in Canada, and I was really impressed with the the powerful work that they would do with only eight weeks with children who were biting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not developing, immature, uh, having problems um, continually, uh, causing their parents to really be in despair and mm. uh, not like their babies. Mm. And so within eight weeks, these children would just turn around. Mm. The parents, not so much. Well, that mm. was going to be my question. Was yeah. it just the babies that they worked with or was it the whole system? No. That, yeah, well, yeah. This, what it turned out is that with just a minor tweak, mm-hmm. it meant the difference, seemed to mean the difference between an axis two. Mm or an eating disorder, or some other pathogenic process Mm -hmm. because of the parent-child relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, when you look at an infant's trajectory, uh, just a minor turn, just, you know, people can't see with my hand, but, you know, just a a minor turn, like on a sundial, changes the entire outcome. Mm -hmm. Whereas with adults, it takes a lot to to steer that ship, Mm -hmm. right? You steer it a little bit, but basically the bones are there. We're a little more set, yeah. You know, a little more set and, you know, change only so much, mm-hmm. right? But you could really change that course. And I thought prevention's where it's at. Mm. You know, why not start at the beginning mm-hmm. and do that? And so that's when I got into video tape because um, um, they were using video and I wanted to use video um, to work with the uh, the parent unit with uh, the child coming in, putting them under stress, videotaping them, and then 
make an appointment the next day with the parents, and then we would watch the video mm -hmm. over and over again. Um, and I was also interested uh, because Dan Stern, the late Dan Stern, who studied babies, and and uh, he did so by using frame analysis, uh, digital frame analysis, by studying babies frame by frame. And that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And that's what I ended up doing with couples. Mm -hmm. So the problem was I couldn't get enough people <laughs> to come in. I just, you know, we're not prevention-oriented uh, in our culture. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. uh, unless, they're man unless people are mandated, in some countries they are, and the outcomes are incredible with at-risk mm -hmm. mothers, at-risk children. Mm -hmm. uh, incredible. But I couldn't get en enough mm -hmm. Uh, to to do that work, and so I at the time was uh, married to my first wife, and we were both therapists, and uh, we met at the Bradshaw Center. Uh, and our marriage was in rough shape, and um, and then we went through kind of a hot divorce. Mm -hmm. By that I mean it happened really quickly. Mm -hmm. it, you know, the nerve endings were still intact, mm -hmm. and uh, and it happened so swiftly that. I was just devastated. Mm. I just, you know, I really thought my life had ended. Mm. You know, I kind of did all the things I wanted to in childhood, which was because I had a privileged childhood. Uh, and uh, I thought, okay, well, this is it. Mm. Uh, the only thing that saved me was I was a professor at three different schools, Antioch being one of them. Mm -hmm. And, um, that saved me. So teaching and my practice mm -hmm. saved me, um, at least for a while. Yeah. I, had, <clears throat> I had something else to worry about, other people. That was really good. But I was living in a, an apartment that was temporary with literally inflated, inflatable um, bed, inflatable <laughs> furniture. Everything was temporary. Mm -hmm. It was really, it was really like, I was in purgatory. I was in yeah. some kind of hell. I was yeah. in, you know, in between. Mm -hmm. And then I reached out to um, an old flame of mine. Actually, she wasn't a flame. That, that assumes that <laughs> that it goes both ways. An old crush of mine. An old like crush. <laughs> yeah, an old crush of mine, Tracy Boldeman, mm -hmm. uh, um, in uh, seventh grade science we met, and Aww. I just had this crush on her through high school that she never knew, and um, uh, and so I went on the. Uh, our Palisades High School um, alumni website, and I found her, and uh, I emailed her, and we started this email uh, back and forth. Hmm. And uh, that time I was studying with John uh, Gottman. Yeah. Uh, with Gottman. And, um, uh, and so we uh, struck up this friendship hmm. uh, through email, and I hadn't been dating anybody uh, until then. And then we met at our old haunt, uh, in the Palisades at um, uh, oh, uh, State Beach. Um, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Ah, my old haunt. Anyway, uh, the, the state park there okay. uh, where they had polo ponies and everything, and we went for a hike. Oh, Will Rogers? Will Rogers, thank you. <laughs> Will Rogers State Park. And um, and then it just went from there. Yeah. After a year, um, mm -hmm. we got married. And, she uh, was divorced as well, right? She was divorced yeah. as well, yeah, longer than I was. Okay. So I was, but I was the Walking Dead. I was not attractive. I, you know, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, uh, we have memories of being at a hotel, and I'd be out in the lobby 
um, eating gum, gummy bears on, on uh, uh, Ambien, crying. And oh. I, was, I was not an attractive fellow. I mean, I, uh, you know, she really stuck with me. Mm. And, um, and, uh, and then everything took off from there. Mm. You know, um, it became partly a model for secure functioning for me. Uh, mm. Our relationship, very different than any other relationship I ever had. Mm. And uh, and both of us, because of the nature of our relationship, um, just sort of jettisoned uh, our mm. careers, our creativity, um, both of us. And uh, we became a partnership for all time. And uh, so um, that made me switch to couples. Mm -hmm. Long story. Mm. <laughs> um, I wanted to understand what had happened. Like, how did I blow this with my first wife? Mm. And it seemed to be in the area of arousal regulation. Mm. Um, uh, it's funny. Tracy has a, a Swiss cheese theory, which actually holds water. So, you know, if you and I are Swiss cheese mm -hmm. and we both have holes, mm -hmm. if our holes line up, we're not going to do well. Mm. Um, if our holes don't line up, we do, we, we do well on an arousal level mm -hmm. and that does hold water. Um, and young people many times will find partners that they over identify with. Mm -hmm. They over identify with each other and they can't really separate that. And, uh, and they get into trouble at the same time. You know, well, one's drowning, the other one's drowning too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I was very interested in studying that, like that that one area of psychology that doesn't that we don't really touch on, and that is nervous system to nervous system, uh, these lightning fast recognition systems that can trigger threat, hmm. and that two honest people can find themselves in a threat situation, and if you know conscious can wonder like how did I get here again? How do we yeah. get here again? How do we get out? And that was my first wife and I. Mm -hmm. um, we we just could not get out of these uh, these entanglements, um, and uh, couldn't figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, so that's what crashed it. I, I love that as well. I guess two things, kind of a gateway. I want you to go more into secure functioning because that's sure. obviously like a through line through, through all of your work that I've read or listened to. Um, but I also want to say too. I mean, jumping ahead a little bit, I guess. But I, you know, when I read. Um, Wired for Love. That was something that my couple therapist had us listen to, I should say. Uh, and even as a therapist myself and somebody who works with couples um, occasionally, I'm not a big fan actually of working with couples. She Why likes not? It more They're than so I do. much fun. Once, have, you, once you do couples, you don't go back. I love. I do like it sometimes. Yeah, I don't it's do not for so, everyone's day. I don't do so well <laughs> with high conflict couples. I am very conflict averse. I have my own issues with that. So I'm working through it. I can but, train you out of it. Okay. Well, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll come to you. For That's the whole point. <laughs> I know. But you know, some of the stuff in my own relationship that you talked about on the attachment side with the threat overlay was so fascinating. And it was, mm -hmm. it was done in a way, what I keep telling everybody is your specific examples um, were things that I had just never heard articulated. So like one super simple one that I'll give an example. Um, I'm more of the avoidant in the dynamic. He's more of the anxious in the dynamic, right? But they're both anxious, by the way. That's Everyone's, right. Well, I'm, noticing, can, yeah. I'm noticing a trend we in this lately. And, we flow back and forth. But, but I'm, I just, for the audience, insecure, if you're insecure on either side of the poles, they're, you know, clinging, distancing. That's mm -hmm. one way you can look at it. Yeah. Both sides are anxious. Yeah. Um, in fact, 
if you really look at biochemically, the avoidant is actually more anxious, mm -hmm. the most anxious, because they don't have the mechanisms to calm themselves down because mm -hmm. of their distancing. So they remain more anxious, actually, and they... Uh, and they can, they're more vulnerable, yeah. especially if they're touch avoidant, they're more, more vulnerable to disease. Mm -hmm. and, Interesting. Uh, right? Well, so that was something like something simple that I remember reading or listening to when you were like, you know, if the person, I think you call it the island, right? It's yeah, the term yeah. you use, yeah. um, is like at their desk doing work, for example, and you call their name from the other room, <laughs> the immediate like, oh, like what? Almost anger that comes. Right. And I was like, I've never had anybody articulate that feeling before. I've always just thought that I was messed up. I was a bitch. Like all of these things I used to call myself. Well, you may be. But I mean, yeah, exactly. I'm I kidding. Am. I'm kidding. No, yes, kidding. and. No, no, <laughs> Thank kidding. you for that. <laughs> um, but I, there were just so many little instances where I was like, holy shit, this is like really helpful for me to mm. understand that it's yeah. not just that, right? No. There's actual um, wiring that goes into this. And I think him and I both really benefited from some of those. So I, I just wanted to call that out. I appreciate yeah, that. Everybody will be startled by hearing their first name called out from another room because the uh, the amygdala, in this mm -hmm. case, the you could say the left amygdala, but it really also the right, um, you know, our name is stored very deep. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's a recognition that is both alarming, mm -hmm. right? If we're, you know, if we're in danger mm -hmm. uh, or a mother calls us, we're in trouble, mm -hmm. right? But um, which is why uh, I tell people to save the first name for when you're making love. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, so and so, I love you. You're so handsome. You're so mm -hmm. beautiful. I love being with you. You know that. You know, rather than you know, uh, Pookie or sweetheart, or whatever. You sweetheart, Pookie from uh, across the room. Uh, if you're going to yeah. do that, because that. It, it, there's a startle. Yeah, um, and that's funny because I think I tend to do the like babe from the other room versus calling him by his name just naturally, right? <laughs> right. And then yeah. you have a lot of people coming in because they all think they're yeah. babe. Yeah, what, who, me? <laughs> well, can you take us through, so obviously we're not going to spend the entire time talking about attachment. I want to get into the rest of, um, you know, talking about your book, which I'm about three quarters of the way in. I'm obsessed with it. Uh, it's called In Each Other's Care, by the way, and we'll, we'll link all that in the show notes. Um, but for those who are kind of, you know, just getting into this, secure functioning as like the baseline for, for let's say, healthy relationship. Will you kind of talk to us a little bit about what secure functioning is kind of in your term? Well, secure functioning uh, as defined uh, by us uh, is meant to be different than secure attachment. So mm -hmm. secure attachment is uh, is uh, an idea uh, measuring safe one's uh, felt sense of safety and security um, in a current primary attachment relationship. Mm -hmm. Secure functioning is really a set of social contracts mm -hmm. uh, that that are consistent with secure uh, people, right? Okay. Um, that are operating in a way that is uh, that is. Uh, cooperative and collaborative and fair and uh, just and mutually sensitive, that that sets the stage for resources that are otherwise being used uh, because of chronic interpersonal stress and threat. Mm. Those are uh, freed up, and this is when development, actually, we know, development moves forward with babies, children, and adults. When uh, when those resources are available because we're in a securely attached system, uh, that's when people start to take flight mm -hmm. and they become nicer, they become more creative, mm -hmm. better neighbors, better mm -hmm. citizens. 
And so, so it's meant to be a, uh, a, a, set, a, a social contract between people that is modeled on what we already do when we join a team or we, we start a rock band or we're cop car partners and our lives depend on each other, right? How do people who are very, very different find where they're the same and where they agree and how do they actually do that and then have a shared purpose and a shared vision which dissolves their differences, mm. right? Otherwise, we would never join ranks. We would never come together. Um, um, our species, it's baked into our species to otherize. We are a fundamentally racist, xenophobic, otherizing species, period. Mm -hmm. Always will be. Um, the only thing that keeps us from doing that are our social contracts and, uh, and, and, and pressure, right? Um, so uh, the same thing goes for the union of a couple. Uh, it's the only union, I, I fear, <laughs> that does not operate on the rules that we have been operating on in terms of making communities, mm. uh, building companies, uh, you know, anything that we do that's a cooperative, it's based on a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. Based on, I mean, you, you can name it, duty, religion, um, lust, um, a ticking clock, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, shame, uh, yeah, feelings of, uh, of, you know, I'll take whatever, mm -hmm. uh, all sorts of things that people will uh, come together thinking about. Now, nature brings us together uh, at a certain time, um, maybe for some people all the way through life, uh, in order to make us, you know, Jones over somebody and, and want to continue the species, mm -hmm. right? So there's a nature part of this that, that is drive that we confuse with love. It's not. Um, and... Uh, uh, and we confuse a lot of things with love, like the attachment system. Mm -hmm. The attachment system is not love. It is survival. It is mm -hmm. something that we must do. And it is nature's glue. Um, we have to uh, mm -hmm. join with others because we're pack animals. Mm -hmm. um, we're, uh, you know, we travel in herds. We're not lone wolves. Mm -hmm. So we need other people from the very beginning uh, of our life. And our life depends on another person from the very beginning. And I think we, uh, on some primitive level, we carry that throughout life. So I'm now attached to you. And I think it's love because uh, it, it, it combines with loving feelings. But it is actually a, a biological mandate that I can't quit you now. And so mm -hmm. that is a good thing. <laughs> like all things in nature, uh, it's, you know, it's indifferent. Nature is indifferent. There are good things and then there are bad things. Mm -hmm. Nature doesn't care. We do. Uh, the good thing about attachment is it holds us together and keeps families together and it keeps us bonded. And uh, the bad thing is that um, we'll stick uh, when we shouldn't. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a bad deal and I should be getting out of this. I should be thinking of what's best for me. I should be able to use my... Uh, you know, my uh, prefrontal cortex, uh, in particular, the reality portion of it that uh, puts off, um, you know, uh, gratification for later. Um, I see downstream, this is not going to end well. You want this, I want that. We want something completely different and we can't seem to come together on it. We should not be together. But that's not what we do. 
Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, will surrender those principles, those ideas of what is the best thing to do for I can't quit you and then come up with a lot of reasons. This is everybody, you know, this Mm -hmm. is not a fault. This is just the way we are. So that is a challenge for us couple therapists, right? We're dealing with inequity. We're dealing with an abusive relationship. We're dealing with, um, you know, somebody clearly is taking a deal they ought not to. uh, and, um, And getting them to think and to do the right thing, even though it's the hardest thing to do, is quite, quite hard yeah. for them and for us to, you know, get them to do it. So secure functioning is a set of principles that are conscious that we set up that has to do with, look, we're in a symmetrical relationship, you and I. This is not asymmetry like childhood. So, uh, so we're not family. We're strangers equals uh, unless we decide we're not. And we're coming together based on terms and conditions. Deal or no deal. Mm-hmm. Not love. Hard to do. Hard to do, right? Yet that is what is going to uh, lead to longevity and happiness because we want both. Mm-hmm. We know people can be can be in relationships for a long time, but are they happy? Right. Um, and people can be happy, but can it last very long? Mm-hmm. So here, secure functioning is the only way I can think of, modeled on on all unions throughout our our uh, time on Earth, that can actually last a long time mm-hmm. and be happy. Because in a free society, people are choosing to come on board because they want the same thing, they're heading in the same direction. And we could do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point that you're making about um, people choosing to come on board. And yeah. something that I hear you speak about a lot that I really appreciate is coming together when there's a shared vision for yes. what we want to create in a partnership. I have become a little bit obsessed with the idea that I feel, and I too am someone who was married for a long time and am not anymore, and I think it's given me such a different lens with which I hold couples work because I think so often the fear of this ending keeps us in dynamics, as you're speaking to, that aren't really life-affirming and healthy. Um, And what I, you know, I'm sort of obsessed with coming together in partnership when it's justified, being a little bit more the baseline than... I'm single until like, you know, I'm just waiting for someone to come and like save me from my singlehood because I think a lot of times the norm being partnership um, really makes people feel like they're somehow less than until partnered. But what I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, Stan, is there's all of these articles being written, people speaking about like how often people are sort of um, stepping away from the decision to partner now. I think there's been all these Pew Research studies about like the rise of the lonely single man and like all of these like dating apps are showing how hard it is for men to find women to partner with. And women are just like either choosing to stay single or dating other women I hear come up a lot for clients. And I guess what I'm curious about is what do you think – is underneath this, like this, um, this thing of like, people are just sort of saying like, what is in partnership for me? And, and what, what do you think we do about that as, as a society? Like, as, as a sort of like, are we just going to partner less? Do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Something, uh, you know, has shifted and, uh, we could think of a lot of, uh, things that are shifting it. Um, there are more existential threats right now, Mm -hmm. uh, starting, not starting with, but 
came in focus with the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? There's always been an existential threat and we've been mostly asleep, mm-hmm. uh, which is the way our, our brain works, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we're good at that. And so, uh, and so, you know, with the pandemic, now there's also global warming, mm-hmm. which is looking pretty grim mm-hmm. if you see mm-hmm. how it seems to be exponentially getting worse mm-hmm. yeah it's like you know if, if there are this many tornadoes and fires right now what and, and there was more many more than there was last year what is it going to be next year yeah. so people are looking at that uh generation uh, uh generations coming up after baby boomers kind of looking at us and saying what you know you fucked us up here. <laughs> you know, you've left us with uh nothing scorched earth thank you i'm glad you really enjoyed everything uh but I'm not going to be like you. Mm. Um, and uh, so there's there's this um, reaction, I think, yeah. to the dangers of the world and the promises that were there that seemed to be empty and lie. You know, all mm-hmm. people are created equal, a lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, we're seeing the fragmentation in our culture because of there is no leadership that can unify um, hmm. uh, all these states, all these, which has always been this way, but uh, at least we could do it at some point to get, have a shared vision and a shared mission and a shared purpose um, without having a war, right? Yeah. Without having 9-11. Um, but that's breaking down. And when that breaks down, that's when you see tribalization. That's when you see civil war. Hmm. Uh, that's when you see people are starting to turn on each other. Hmm. The same thing in a couple. Uh, a couple doesn't have um, a third thing that they are creating, co-creating problems that they are solving together, a sense of purpose, a sense of what are they, what do they stand for, why do they exist, mm. uh, is going to f- fragment mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and people will turn on each other. Uh, and so it's, you see the same thing in the macro and the micro. Um, these are systems. Mm. Yeah. So among people, we need third things that we're building, creating, mm-hmm. that we're solving problems that unify us. And if if not, then we start to fray and then we start to go off and look for things ourselves because there's there's no meaning be, behind our alliance. Right? Mm-hmm. What, we don't do anything. We already did it. We had the kids and now we're no longer a couple. Mm-hmm. And now we're just tools for the kids. And as soon as they're gone, it's bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you see the same thing happening. So a lot of this idea of secure functioning doesn't just come from a couple system. It's really in all systems. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is study your history or study what's happening today or just understand yourself mm-hmm. um, and see that, you know, this is a people problem, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, that we're oriented in a certain way. If we're going to unify, we have to or we have to organize by what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's in it for me? We're selfish creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, even our altruism is selfish, mm-hmm. right? And uh, there's nothing wrong with that as long as we're pro-social, right? Pro-self and pro-relationship at the same time. And that seems to be the key. Mm. How do I remain pro-self and pro-relationship at the same time? Meaning I have to consider you at the same time I'm considering myself mm-hmm. or I'm unfriendly and you're going to now... Uh, care only about your interests and that's how it begins. Well, I guess, how does that then, I mean, that's a good jump off for a question around staying partnered, right? I mean, I'm trying to think of how to word this. Like, 
I get the concept of we need to be able to be pro relationship and pro self at, at one time, right? Yes. And I would say that through the trajectory of a couple's relationship, there is some shifting that happens, right? Like at some yes. point I need to be a little bit more pro self because I'm going through something that requires it. And then maybe in six months, you need to be a little bit more pro self. Um, and, and so I'm wondering, do you feel like there's not, ever a time not, not for necessarily. this to kind of give? No, that's no. not, it's not an either or, um, think of it this way. If I were to, uh, it's uh, John is your partner. Mm-hmm. If I if I were allowed to bind your legs together for mm-hmm. a month, mm-hmm. you know the inner part of your legs, and you wouldn't sue me, um, <laughs> you would understand what I'm talking about. You're two independent, separate people who are bound together in your legs, and you would have to go to the bathroom together, eat together. You'd have to do things and work with each other. There would be no time I'm going to do now what I want. And the next time you can do what you want. Uh, I don't think that would work. Hmm. Um, I, it would test the tolerance of the other person. Um, we would have to think of how to please each other, which is a different way of thinking. It's a higher level of moral thinking, right? What is best for me and you? Hmm. Best for me and you. Now, um, clearly we don't have to do that. And most people don't think they should do that, mm-hmm. which is why they won't last. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're tied together by our mission, by our purpose or by fate, you know, by circumstance, you know, we're left alone on an Island and we depend on each other to survive. We're going to learn real fast. You understand? Yeah. Our fates are tied. I just wonder if like, can we be, is it a yes? And like, can we, rather than either or can it be, and maybe this is what you're saying and I'm just misconstruing it. Like, is there a time in a securely functioning relationship where the idea is that both people also individually are working on their own secure functioning so that I'm not necessarily in need of this other person to feel secure in myself? Like, can I do things on my own and you can do things on your own and we can do things together and it's still all copacetic? Does that make sense? Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay. Um, secure functioning means that you and I are co-creating yep something from scratch, which right. people won't do uh, mostly hmm. because we're lazy and because <laughs> we're entitled yeah. and because we think this is family. Um, yeah, and that. it isn't, it isn't. Um, uh, we're strangers and we have to consider each other as such, mm-hmm. which means there's a formality there. And that uh, the way this works is that we're bound together if we are truly interdependent, and this is really important, we have to make sure that we have the same things to gain and the same things to lose. We're equal shareholders in this thing that we're considering. That's you know survival, um, profiting, um, parenting. All of these, uh, we're at the same risk and the same um, you know glory of what we could achieve. Mm-hmm. If that is the case, and that is our job to make sure that that equity remains and the level is, is uh, the field is leveled, then we're more likely to keep each other in check because we benefit from it, right? We benefit from it. Um, and so it, it is a different way of thinking. It's a two-person psychology of we and us. And we're building this thing for the maximum freedom we're going to be as free as we can unless and until that freedom impinges on the other person's rights or sensibilities. And then we have mm-hmm. to pay attention to that because 
if you lose, I'm going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if you get a raw end of the deal, I'm going to pay for it. There's no way I won't. Uh, this is a fact, right? All you have to do is just track it. <laughs> uh, no bad deed goes unrepaid. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, and so it is really, uh, I think a higher level of, of moral reasoning, mm-hmm. uh, to include another person's well-being and your own at the same time, uh, rather than a binary, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a bifurcation of this, which is what we all do. And, uh, and we have to understand that that disrupts the field, right? That disrupts the field that we're operating in. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I want to win the, um, uh, the potato sack race. Mm-hmm. Well, there's only one way we're going to win. We have to be practiced and we have to work together. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we lose. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. Um, nature doesn't care. Um, the, uh, I'm sure the land is riddled with the bones of partners that couldn't uh, work together. Um, you know, uh, find bones in an escape room and they're, they're in the, the bones are in the position of fighting uh, uh, and they just couldn't get it together to survive. <laughs> um, uh, that's Darwinian. And, yeah. and we can think of couples failing as a sort of a Darwinian issue that they could not work together. They could not find where they agreed and they could not find where they were the same, which is something that everybody can do. Mm. Everybody can do it. Hmm. Everybody can do it. Um, uh, it's been done forever, forever. It's still being done. How do people um, who are of different, uh, you know, ilks, different cultures, different races, different genders, sex, whatever, come together because either they have to or because they need to uh, or they decide to uh, for good reason and they find exactly where they agree and where they are the same and that's where they build. Um, and yet partners are, um, you know, again, couples come with a certain entitlement that no other union does expectation. There's a memory that goes all the way back to mm-hmm. early childhood because of a primary attachment system is going to be all projection and all projective identification. Make it, makes it hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we have to be smarter. We have to know better, right? Yeah. We have to be prepared for the pain in the ass, uh, uh, you know, uh, burden that we are. As human beings, we are all a pain in the ass. We're all disappointing. Mm-hmm. We're all contradictory. We're all annoying creatures. There's no getting away from that. <laughs> so what? Yeah. But so how do what? we still make it where I see what's similar in us versus what's different? By using our God-given brain mm-hmm. to make shit up and to be able to create something out of whole cloth. Mm-hmm. To be able to create something. Relationship is a shared mythology. Mm. It does not exist in reality. It does mm. not. It's an abstraction. Mm. Uh, you can't take a picture of it, can you? Mm. You can take a picture of people hugging, but that's not, you know, how do you know that's a relationship? Maybe they just met, you know? So a relationship is a construct, something that we co-create. Doesn't it make sense that we should co-create the same thing and make sure we're on the same page? Yes. That the mythology we're building uh, has the same architecture, um, that it has the culture that we want, not that our parents wanted, mm-hmm. right? Not that our church wants, but you and I, right? We can do anything we want. All we have to do is agree. Mm. We just have to get each other on board by attraction, by bargaining, by negotiating, by making it good for me and good for you. It's been done this way. Mm. This is the way of the world. Uh, and 
uh, and partners can understand this and work together, it is sublime. It is hard. It is really hard to do because we have to put away our, you know, some of our, again, our ideas of being right and knowing what reality is and my perception is the right one. I was really clear. You're, you didn't hear me right. Uh, <clears throat> my memory is perfect. Yours isn't. You know, all these things that we do and that we get into fights over um, that destroy relationship, right? So secure attachment, we could think of secure attachment in a, as a culture is the culture is putting relationships ahead of the self. Mm -hmm. The self is there, but the self is embedded in the relationship. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so my self-esteem is the character I bring to this relationship by doing the best thing, the right thing for the relationship, even when it's the hardest to do. That's character. Hmm. That's discipline. That's a purpose. I'm not doing it because I'm, I'm weak. I'm not doing this because I'm uh, a whipping uh, boy or girl, uh, not a doormat. But, uh, but I value this union, this relationship. I'm going to hold it up and, um, and I'm going to create a culture where we all do that. Mm. Um, and that, that, that's secure attachment, actually, mm -hmm. when you think about it. Relationships are more important than your performance. Mm. Yeah, I love that. You know, so there's something from your book um, where you're talking about secure functioning that I wanted to ask you about you said, unless people orient towards being in each other's care, they will naturally revert to the ideas of self-care to the exclusion of others and act accordingly, which I feel like is a little bit of what you're speaking to. Yeah. Um, and here's the struggle I have most frequently with couples that I'm curious to ask you about, Stan. And I'm going to speak heteronormatively for a moment. Yeah. The tale as old as time is that, you know, the woman is carrying more of the emotional labor. Mm -hmm. um, the woman is just feeling like, you know, especially after we have children, that this man in my life has become like another child that I am caring for. Mm -hmm. And so I think what ends up happening, I find, is it's this constant struggle for let's talk about like the erotic other that is lost in this space of us being in this enmeshed dynamic of us caring for one another. But I don't find often that it is like an equal level of care for the woman. And also, I don't think what arouses men and women is the same a lot of times. And I think there's so much about the societal construct up to this point that has been women should be in that caregiver role and they should be like really like the the nurturing space. But what I find is that unless a woman really feels seen by the man in her life, which I find if we're like so enmeshed that it's tough to tell where you begin and I end, um, that woman doesn't feel seen. And then she isn't aroused by that. And then it becomes like a really like, you know, I think whatever the modality is, there's sort of the agreement that we need um, – a sense of stability, but we also need aliveness. Yeah. But I find that a patriarchal society doesn't really put a lot of emphasis on the aliveness and the um, sensuality and the life force, which is a lot of um, what I think I find is missing for women in relationships. Yeah, it's like we can be good partners, like business partners, but we're not having sex. Right. Right. <laughs> we, um, we, so there's two ways of looking at this. Um, one is there's the greater system that's imposing and uh and oppressing people right the culture the patriarchy the the politics social politics the gender politics all of that we could say there's a lot impinging on us uh from the larger systems and concentric circles that uh that bind us and make us feel that the the general system that we're in is unfair 
Um, what I like as a couple therapist is to keep that in mind, mm -hmm. right? We have to know what's impinging on the individuals mm -hmm. um, and, and how that's affecting the smaller system. But, but you and I, we decide, we decide how we're going to play this, mm -hmm. which is going to change as we move through time because we're changing. As long as we're sticking together and we're spending time together, we're going to influence each other. If we're both in the distancing group, we're in danger because we'll drift and we'll stop influencing each other because proximity is, is the time spent with each other does amount to influence, does amount to a feeling of, of kinship and, and bonding. So there's that. But you and I decide what is right. You and I decide what is best. Mm. Um, we're in it to, to win it, <laughs> to make sure that we're, you know, I'm, I'm in service to you. You're in service to me. And each other's care means that that works better than we're in our own care. That was the revelation that came to me that made me want to do couples mm. is that psychobiologically, we're actually wired to be in each other's care, not, uh, not to go this far afield into uh, rugged individualism, which is leading us in other cultures, if you look at the Japanese culture, mm -hmm. that's been on a weird trajectory for a long time. Sorry, Japan, but uh, it is. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, th their uh, loneliness is at an all-time high, and it's uh, and it's uh, the World Health Organization is uh, is considering it along with depression as being a major killer, right? So, uh, so you know, a lot of our ideas go against, by the way, our nature. Uh, back to this. So you and I decide. And because we have an overarching sense of purpose to serve each other, that we come first above and beyond everybody else, that we are the travelers, the time travelers, that, um, that we are engaged in a social contract of mutual protection that other people do not have and will not have with us, ride or die. We're going to work together. Uh, that is where you can make change. That is where, but you have to have a willing partner. If you have a partner who's not on board with the grand idea, with the bigger idea that it's you and me, mm. you <laughs> and me, and we're going to do this, which means we have to suffer through all the ideas of disappointment and boredom and just, I know you and my brain, uh, you know, uh, wants to chase dopamine and uh, novelty and everything, which is, uh, you know, not a mature idea, right? Um, there's novelty in the ordinary and a mature person knows that and goes for um, that's why we commit, right? Hopefully we commit because we want to learn something about ourselves. We want to learn. We want to know everything about this one thing that we chose, career, person. Um, that's a personal dedication, right? So if you find somebody, which is why I tell people, look, you know, create a list of what the perfect relationship you're looking for is, not the person, the hmm. relationship. We do this, we do that, right? This is what we do. And look for somebody who's who is uh, who's on board with the big ticket items. They're a player. They're not perfect. Nobody is, but that that, that they are they are attracted to the same thing and they want to do the same thing. It's a mission. Um, that's what you need. You need somebody who's willing to play, willing to do that on a big scale because it's a big idea, right? It's you and me. We're going to do everything. We're going to work together. We're going to stick together, and we're going to make it right constantly for each other. All we have to do is spend the extra effort to think collaboratively, okay. which is really hard to do under stress because as soon as we're under stress, it's like, fuck you. 
Yeah. I mean, I I think <laughs> you're absolutely right. And I so deeply agree with everything that you say about nervous system and the way that we react from that space. And I think there's something in when we're in that space of, you know, my mentor is Esther Perel, and she talks a lot about- Who the is ver- I'm sorry. Esther Perel. Oh, yeah. She's a, she's a friend, actually. Yeah. Um, she talks a lot about how the verb for love is to have, and the verb for desire is to want. And I just think it's really hard in what I see with couples for us to want one another when we are like so in that space of like us in the bunker. <laughs> I feel like you speak to a lot together. Um, I think- I don't know. There's something in the like, is it immature for us to also need a little bit of like distance from this, a little bit of um, differentiation, I guess, is the word that's coming up. Secure functioning, if you really think about what it takes to do it, you cannot do secure functioning if you're undifferentiated, Mm. if um, if you cannot tolerate being alone. If you cannot tolerate pain, that's a big one. If you cannot grieve loss, mm. if you cannot uh, um, uh, understand and tolerate disappointment, if you cannot take a punch mm-hmm. and fall on your own sword with humility, these are all things that require a higher level of development mm-hmm. of self. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it does take an autonomous, individuated individual yes. enough to be able to recognize difference, to be able to recognize uh, one uh, one's having to uh, deal with uh, primitive urges and and uh, impulses in favor of what is the best thing I could do, mm. what is the best thing we could do, even though it would be the hardest, what's the right thing we would do, even though it would be the hardest. Otherwise, we're back to being animals. Otherwise, we're back to doing whatever we want. And we can do that, but the union isn't going to last. It just isn't because I'm doing what I want and it's at your cost. Uh, that's not going to work. So we have to think of, it's not, you know, uh, dispel the ideas of healthy. I mean, I, I, mm. I, I, you know, healthy should be, uh, you know, kept for with the kind of foods you eat and whether your doctor says you're healthy. Relationship is not about healthy. It's, it's, does it work? Mm-hmm. Can it work? Not just right now, but down the line. Can it work? Um, well, what would make it work? Mm-hmm. Ha- the relationship has to be uh, uh, two generals, two bosses, two executives, equal power, equal authority, uh, which is respected. Uh, and we have to work together as such. We're leaders. Everyone and everything depends on us. Mm-hmm. Therefore, um, we handle everything and everyone. Mm-hmm. And you and I have to be right as rain or every, everyone's screwed and everything we do is screwed, Right. Because we're hinging that. That has nothing to do with enmeshment. It has nothing to do with fusion. It has nothing to do with being, uh, you know, um, uh, trapped. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, That's not the idea here. It is the opposite. Mm -hmm. It is actual freedom within a frame that we built. Hmm. Because without a frame, you could say there's freedom, but there's also being lost. Mm -hmm. There's mayhem. There's, uh, you know, a rudderless uh, person, a rudderless ship. So... We're talking about what the existentialists uh, talked about. Uh, we're all alone. <laughs> but, um, um, we, I mean, there is no being on the same page ever. That's in a fantasy. We, we approximate each other mm. until we're unhappy. And then we really don't like it because I want you to be exactly on the same page. But we, we, we're not, right? Mm. We're, 
We're separate. We're in separate boats. All we can do is hold hands, but we're in separate boats. We're going to die. Life is meaningless, <laughs> except the meaning we give it, which is true still. Uh, and uh, we have no idea what the fuck we're here for. <laughs> okay? Those, those are the existential givens. They forgot one. And that is, if our relationship is in tatters and it may not exist tomorrow, I'm in an existential crisis. Hmm. Uh, biologically as well. Um, um, we can't tolerate that. We can't tolerate that. That's why breaking up is hard to do because it, it taps into a very primitive, primordial part of us that is survival-oriented. If mommy dies, I die. Mm. And if the relationship is over tomorrow, I'm dead. Now, it's not rational, right? We're smart. We know that mm. that's not rational, but there's a part of us that feels it, mm-hmm. which is why we talk about repairing quickly, mm-hmm. <laughs> because we have to honor that biological threat system, which, is, uh, which can lead to disease, right? Uh, it's a huge, huge stressor. So, uh, so, you know, uh, my wife and I have this thing, we can, we can go to bed angry, but we have to at least touch toes. I remember hearing that in your first one, yeah. <laughs> um, touching is an unequivocal signal that we're okay. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. Yeah. That's all you need because there is that primordial thing. So it's not about enmeshment. We have these, um, these ideas, these constructs based on our fears, right? Oh, I'm going to get enmeshed. I'm going to get trapped. I'm going to be uh, engulfed, smothered. Mm -hmm. I won't be able to get out. Um, I'm going to be abandoned. I'm not going to be loved. All these ideas that are are sort of uh, gumming up the works of what I'm talking about here. This is a very high level of thinking Mm -hmm. that will work and something that we will strive towards. It's a practice. It's not easy, but it does work. And... um, and so then is it worth it? And what else is there to do? <laughs> I mean, why not be a better person? You can do that in your unions if you play, uh, if you're a team player, right? If you're a team player, mm. right? You got to do it. I got to do it. And, uh, and if you step out of line, you're going to hear from me. And if I do, I'm going to hear from you because we gave each other permission to enforce. Yeah, I think what I hear you saying is that there is a certain level of awareness and differentiation that each person does need to bring to the table to be able to be in this level of agreement. And I, I think that's very true. You know, before we got on and started recording, we were both talking about, or the three of us were talking about like the difference in relationships after a marriage, you know? And I think that there is to me a lot of times value in endings. I think if we let go of the, you know, construct that when a marriage ends, that's necessarily a failure. Like I look at all of the things that you've I agree with you. developed and understood because that first marriage ended. And I think that there can be a lot of value in things falling apart, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I, I fully believe that, um, that there are no angels and no devils and couples mm. that where there's one, there's always the other. It's a system. Mm-hmm. And if it breaks down, it's really on both of them. Right? Mm. Occasionally there are devils um, that I've come across, and I'm sure you have too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are um, uh, people who are not uh, playing on a level field, mm-hmm. and they're um, they're not good faith actors, mm. right? They're well, and I bad think, people. Yeah, <laughs> Let's I put it that way. Going back to what you were saying before <laughs> about you know this idea of like we, so we have this primordial attachment. I mean, I would say the attachment wounding, right? It's it's yeah. like that primary attachment wound of I have to make this work at all costs. Because what I'm terrified of is essentially I won't be here. I won't exist if this attachment disappears. 
And so what I find so often in working with, whether it's couples or individuals that are kind of grappling with an end of a relationship is really helping them, supporting them get to a place of knowing that they will be okay, even if this partnership ends, right? Yes. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's helping somebody understand that even though your internal system is telling you that you're going to be snuffed out if this partnership goes away, that's not true. And we have to kind of tap into that prefrontal cortex, right? And act from there when we can. Now I would say too, the same thing goes, and I'm going to give a little bit of an example, a personal example. I think it's helpful inside a dynamic. So Danae and I are kind of talking a lot about how I've done a lot of what I think is differentiation work within the confines, confines of the partnership, right? Yes, and I think I do it. Yeah. And I think I've pushed my partner, John, to do the same. Now, I think a lot of a, a giant kickoff for us in doing like our next level of that work was having a kid, right? It brought up a lot of things. It was a very big challenge for both of us. Did you read our ways. book, Baby Bum? I did not, but I have it in my, it's in my Audible. <laughs> Um, but I think, so using this example, what ended up happening for us in the first couple of years, because we're only at three and a half years right now of having a kid is me being the mother, me being the primary parent, me being focused on the actual survival of this being. And then what happened for him is a lot of his attachment stuff came up. I'm not paying as much attention to him. I'm not giving him the same amount of quality time, the same amount of touch, the same amount of sex, all of these things, right? And so it really sent him into, um, and him and I have talked about this, I'm definitely not like throwing one of the bus, but uh, almost like a very immature way of showing up in the relationship. But mommy, what about me? Is essentially what it kind of translated to, right? And so this actually was why we went to Dana. Um, because we were in this kind of constant me saying, I'm touched out. I don't have enough to go around. Right. Totally. You uh, totally to, uh, understandable. You got to <laughs> be able to learn to self-soothe a little bit because I can't do that for you. I'm not your mother. I'm her mother and I can help her understand how to soothe herself. That's part of my job is actually helping her build this nervous system. Right. That's going to carry her through her life. I can't do that for you. I can be in support of you and I can be compassionate to you, but I cannot be your mother. I already have a kid, right? So there was a lot of this back and forth. Now that's a long setup to say, I think a lot of couples, not to think, I know, I've seen a lot of couples get to that point, not be able to withstand it. And I I, I don't want to be kind of gender stereotyping here, but I've seen a lot of specific men and women in that very similar dynamic. I, I actually, I've seen men, men and women, women too, that yeah. are couples. In a similar uh, dynamic, right? Right. The third, the uh, it's 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 the stress of going from dyads to triads, right? right? Uh, a recapitulation of something in, in childhood. And so if people aren't prepared and they don't understand what the roles are and what, uh, and what again, the purpose mm-hmm. is and what mm-hmm. their vision is, mm-hmm. then they'll get confused. And, uh, and this will happen. It happens with same sex um the the non-caring parent uh will uh complain very very similarly it doesn't matter uh their sex or gender mm. orientation so there is a problem of the of one person uh being left out of the triad and uh and feeling jealous mm-hmm. right feeling um that they've lost their primary um, all of this can be mitigated with preparation and planning and thinking about you know what this is and what our roles are going to be and what what we're doing this for, right? Um, uh, and so I think it is a problem that's unique to our time. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that it's across uh, all um, you know cultures and, and tribal areas. Um, I think it's the way we orient a bit mm-hmm. that uh, that accentuates this idea of primacy. Um, that, uh, you know, 
this this other person's coming now as an interloper mm. and taking <laughs> my primary away. Yeah, uh, is uh, is understandable, but it is uh, uh, that could have been prepared for. Okay. In advance. So for you, it's all about the preparation. Because I'm wondering, yeah, like, yeah, when you go is, into yeah. your explanation around, you know, what you call the management of thirds, right? Right. I mean, I'm guessing that a child would be considered absolutely, a third, yeah. right? And so then, I guess, what would you give other than preparation? Okay, so let's say we didn't prepare, because I know my partner and I didn't prepare. I don't think most, most people don't. do. No. <laughs> so now everyone thinks they know they can do it. <laughs> so now we're in it, and we're like, oh shit, what do we do, right? Um, and so I know for him and I, a lot of the work has been around me needing to lean in because yeah. my tendency is to lean back. Right. And say, I see you're hurting, you know, I, I I'm here to understand and validate as much as I can, but I can't do that work for you. I can't be the one to soothe your nervous system. I can't be the one to parent right. you when you're feeling, you know, all these things. Now imagine it ahead of time. It would have been, this is what we have to do. This is what we can't do. This is what won't work. Mm. Um, I'm going to be overtouched. I'm going to be going through all this. You won't know what it's like. I will. Yeah. I'm going to need your support. That's going to support the baby. Um, we're going to be working together. And you need to also be with baby from the very beginning. Yes. And we know that that really changes the brain for the male. It really changes mm-hmm. his brain. And it uh, locks him in in a way that most males will never get mm-hmm. locked in mm-hmm. um, very, very early um, from the very beginning so that there's an investment that this is a couple's project yeah this is a couple's project you and i are still partners we don't leave we don't lose that we don't suddenly become mommy and daddy that's for the kids it's not very sexy for us uh we're partners we exist through time it's one project of many projects you and i will be doing Mm. therefore it's you and me kid and this is how we're going to play it this is how we have to play it Right. Let me ask you that, again. Most I, people don't do this. I want to. I want to. So one of the quotes that I pulled out from your um, chapter on jealousy, right, or management of thirds, you say if one primary partner experiences jealousy, that is certainly a sign of mismanagement by the other. Uh, that's the first place I would look. Yes. Okay. So because that to me, I'm like, as the mom in the situation, that made me like a little bit like, but how can I? How am I mismanaging this? Or like, what what can I do differently? You're, no, it's it's sense? it's not just. It, this, um, uh, you know, John, like so many others, was did not understand, did not know. I didn't. The know. two of you <laughs> didn't really have a plan postnatally, right? Of what you were going to do and how are you going to play this whole thing, and so uh, and so, when we don't predict something and plan and prepare for it, we walk right into a situation, and we're going to now um, under stress, we're going to revert to automatically to mm-hmm. our most primitive selves. That's what we do. As soon as I'm threatened, I'm no longer thinking contingently. Mm-hmm. I am reacting automatically by memory. And I'm just going to act out exactly what I need to do to protect my interests only. Mm-hmm. Then you start to protect your interests only. And now we're adversaries, right? right. Uh, we're threatened by the whole thing because something happened. Uh, we thought we knew, but didn't. We didn't think ahead. And this is why... Um, you know, not just in this instance, mm-hmm. but I encourage partners every time they're going to walk into something novel or even something that's stressful, predict, plan, prepare what could go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to protect our relationship. We're going to make sure that we work together. That's the vision. By the end of this, we're great. We are terrific. We handled this well. What could possibly go wrong? Mm-hmm. What would get in the way of that? And let's take it off the table one by one and prepare and plan. That's another capability that only our species 
has, mm. right? Two things. We can make shit up that doesn't exist <laughs> and we can actually predict and plan the future and plan and, and plan for it. Two things often we don't do. Mm-hmm. We don't do it. We kick the can down the road, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, people come to us all the time, uh, you know, step families. There's tons of reading you could do. Nobody does it. And they come in and they have to reinvent the wheel, right? Um, they could have, but they didn't hmm. because people think, oh, I can do this. I can do this. Yeah, I can do this. What's a, yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, no. <laughs> no. Hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you're protecting the union uh, or alliance from this. We've got a, a whole other uh, set of complexities that are coming our way. Are we resourced? Hmm. If we're not resourced sourced in advance of this, we're stupid. Right. Mm. If if we're not great, we're inviting a kid to our party. If our party sucks, thank you, mom, dad. Amen. Yeah. You know, <laughs> thank you and fuck you. Um, I <laughs> uh, hope you have a, a, a you know, a, a money set away for my therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 you know, we're just that way. We're impulsive, moody, fickle animals mm. that don't plan, that do the least amount uh, we can because of energy conservation. That's mm. a natural law. And so uh, and so, it, it is our stupidity. Am I included? I'm no different. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm an idiot. And, <laughs> and I do stupid shit. And, and, and I can be a five-year-old with my partner. All of this is true. Secure functioning is a framework to be better. Mm-hmm. To just be better than the average off-the-line, factory-line human primate, which is not great. Mm. Let's face it. The average off-the-factory-line human primate, good when they're happy. You don't want to be around them when they're not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I love so much of it as a framework. And there's something that I hold with couples that I'm curious to sort of hear your reaction to. Also, it's changed the way I work, too. (laughs) You'll have have more fun, by the way. (laughs) Um. Which, you know, I think, and again, guilty of this myself in my relationship, but I think what I see so often with couples is just a real lack of um, reverence for who this person is as another person. There's like a sense of entitlement, I think, that comes when we've been with someone for a long time. You speak to that in your books. Um, And what I realized once my marriage ended was there was a lot of things that I felt entitled to from that other person that I wasn't. And the idea that he was mine a lot of times kept me complacent in that relationship. And what I say to couples a lot is this person doesn't belong to you. No. Um, And if nothing is promised, then we hold it as a little bit more sacred. And I guess. I'm here because I choose to because uh, uh, this is the best deal. Mm. And as soon as it isn't, you're going to hear from me. This is the best what? <laughs> the best deal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it does make you, it does make you want to step up more in your relationship, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, and this goes back and I know we're talking about needs as attachment needs, but I have very often said, I think it's much sexier slash I want to also be the one that says, I don't need you. I want you. And to me, that's actually sexier to hear. Like, yeah. I want to know that you want me. I don't want to know that you need me because that actually doesn't really do much for my engine. I mean, well, it's it's not a compliment. It is kind of an insult. It's not you know, like you could be anybody. I just need you. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't go away. I don't like you much. <laughs> but uh, but don't go away. But don't go away. Right. Um, you know. Uh, no, it's not attractive. Of course yeah. not. Yeah. This is voluntary. Right. 
And we need to be kind of in a constant state of work around making sure that we still want to be here, yeah. not that it's just a need. How about having a performance review every year? Love to Love a good hip. Yeah. Loves it. Love a good hip. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's sane. Yeah, wow. I agree. It is. Yeah. If you really think about partnership and mm-hmm. growth and uh, and pushing each other to be better and to raise the bar. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, people don't raise the bar. They just, you know, it's on the ground. Yes. Uh, And so you kind of get what you pay for. That's nothing. So is it hard work to do secure functioning? Yeah, it is. It's hard for me to grow up and to to, uh, uh, not just consider my needs only and and to be very aware that my personal narrative is built around protecting my interests, Mm -hmm. not around protecting you at all. Right? That's how we build our narratives. It's always to protect our interests. Right. And I'll use whatever is necessary, even if it's not all true, uh, to fight you. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, all they need is enough data to say, well, it's mostly right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not. So we're ta- really talking about growing up. Secure functioning is, is, is growing up, mm-hmm. which is a constant thing, which means I... I I have to understand the automatic brain. The automatic brain is part of energy conservation. Everything new is going to be old. Mm. Uh, you're exciting. You're everything. Uh, you know all these catecholamines, dopamine, or adrenaline, uh, oxytocin, uh, phenylethylamine. All these groovy drugs that make me focus on you. And oh, you're so great. And I want to know everything about you. And then I know you. And I think I know you. And I go, okay, I look at elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for novelty everywhere else. Mm. And that that is that's not a grown-up thing, right? Um, I know I don't know you, and so I have to be present and attentive and curious enough to spend time with you and look at you and and understand, yeah, I don't. That makes you interesting. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. I don't know, know you. I don't yeah. know you. And and I could despair. How many uh, people have you had that despair in their 40s and midlife? And I'm with a partner that doesn't get me. They just yeah. don't get my jokes. You know, they just don't, they're not interested. I, I watch a deep movie or a deep TV show and they can't really converse with me. They just don't get it and everything. I, I'm lonely and everything. Well, um, part of that is a fantasy of um, you should fill everything in me, mm-hmm. right? You should be just like me. You should, uh, mm-hmm. right? No, I'm with a different fucking person, mm-hmm. dude. You know, when did I think that you had to mirror everything inside of me? Well, when I thought that I was finding my parent to reparent me. Yes, right, right, <laughs> right. that's really what I thought I was doing when I attached to this person. And that's why we're going to be in business for a very long time. Because, <laughs> because the complexity by, with peop, uh, by which people pair bond and get together in this life, mm. because in another life, we would have been dead by now, um, <laughs> right? Uh, 20 years before you're disappointed, you're dead anyway. Um, or you've already mixed up the gene pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. So... Uh, you know, the problems we have today are the problems for our time. We live longer. Um, we live in a very complicated, uh, you know, society, a lot of pressure, a lot of demands on us and everything, and a lot of fantasies that go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back to reality that the, um, the, the truth is, like, so I say, everyone's disappointing. The ideas of, of really committing to you is where I can find out who I am. I can find out, I can, if I choose to think this way, I can be aware of all the times I want to get away from you. Mm. All the times I'm thinking, oh, you're not so much. Mm. Oh, I'd love to have a, a younger body. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have this. I'm missing something that I don't have, which is part of the human uh, 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 nervous system. We're supposed to be aware of what's missing, 
uh, as hunters and gatherers because that helps us go out and get that which we need for survival. It's not meant to be, uh, you know, a measure of our happiness. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, gee, I don't feel the same way with you as I did with X. Uh, therefore, there must be something wrong with you. Uh, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And so growing up also means learning how our mind works and mm-hmm. how it fucks with us mm-hmm. constantly, well, constantly. That- mm-hmm. And knowing what we listen to and what we don't. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, again, growing up. Life is imperfect. Life is scary. No one's perfect. Everyone's disappointing. Good enough is perfect. And, uh, and, uh, and I am a pain in the ass and imperfect and disappointing mm-hmm. too. Um, so it is, uh, I do see it as a higher level of moving from the, the, the self-centeredness, which, which we are naturally that, to include considering another person who is completely different from mm-hmm. us. I'm going to steal that from and you, And never Tan. forgetting that. <laughs> yeah. That thing of growing up is understanding how our mind works. I think that's... Absolutely. That's huge. You know, I heard Meryl Streep say once um, how she stayed happily married for so long. And she said, whenever I was disappointed or unsatisfied with my husband, I was always unsatisfied with myself yeah. when I really got down to it. Yeah. And I think that's what you're speaking to, like understanding what's happening in our mind really in that moment that we think that out there is the fantasy of what's going to make it's me happy. It's all an inside uh, thing. We never yeah. lived outside of our heads. We never will. It's mm. all in our head. Yeah. Um, so we have to interact with the outside world mm-hmm. and not try to make it in our own image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think there's something to be said for, and you know, this is the cultural change that's going on. I mean, women, you know, marriage is changing. Partnering is changing. I mean, yep. women don't need men to survive anymore. So we're, we're able to be more selective. We're able to leave, you know, yeah. all these things. And I think a lot of times I'm working with people, especially individuals, on this concept of longevity is not the only marker of success anymore, right? If, if it was ever really a marker of success to begin with, because like I always say, I'm not going to congratulate somebody's grandparents for being together for 40 or 50 years when they've hated each other's guts for the last 30, right? right? I'm more likely to congratulate her and her ex, who I'm also friends with, because of their beautiful relationship as friends, even though they're not in a romantic partnership anymore, right? right. And I think that that even- I was, what, more, I was more bummed about the Beatles breaking up than they were. <laughs> <laughs> But that's it. I mean, what you're saying is like, we can have these secure functioning, but also like using your brain, understanding how your mind works. Mm. And also if you both intelligently get to a place where you say, this is no longer serving the purpose that we intended it to serve, totally right? Agree. It's okay to walk away. Totally agree. Um, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day who was in a tough spot in her marriage. And I was like, I don't know when we had to get to the place, when we decided we had to get to the place of hating each other's guts before we could walk away from each other. Like that as a marker of, okay, it's finally time to leave. Like, Mm -hmm. can we just be done with that narrative? Because this is what keeps a lot of divorce lawyers, you know, in in their jobs. It's what keeps a lot of these mediators in their jobs. It keeps a lot of kids in therapy. Can we just say, this is not serving the higher purpose anymore. Let's shake hands, hug it out and go our separate ways. That would be lovely. Now you have to deal with a real person. Right. Because a real person will say, um, no. Hmm. Um, because it is for some life and death. Yes. And and I, I'm with you on yeah. this, you know, which is why I'm shifting uh, my thinking to a purpose-centered relationship, not a feeling-centered relationship. Because, hmm. uh, you know, um, uh, this comes from Japanese psychology, uh, Marita, that um, only a purpose-centered relationship or purpose-centered life 
uh, can lead to uh, real happiness. Mm -hmm. Feelings uh, can't be controlled by the will. And so if you're operating that way, a lot of wars Mm. start this way. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people do terrible things in the name of love. So um, I'd rather people start thinking about what is your purpose has nothing to do with feelings, except that it's going to either provide the best opportunity for good feelings to arise, earned love, earned Mm -hmm. respect, um, and, uh, you know, guardrails to keep uh, uh, as a purpose uh, the worst feelings from Mm -hmm. arising. Two people can legislate that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because let's not do that. Deal? Deal. Deal. Deal? Yeah. And so, <laughs> I love it. And, and so then we have to do, governance is really important. And I saw that as yeah, a question on your list. Things. So what governance means is that you and I as free individuals, um, strong individuals that could kill each other if we wanted to, uh, we could do all sorts of things. We're powerful by right, nature, right. right? There is nothing that's to say that you're, you know, you're the uh, you're the weaker sex, sure. you know? um, or that uh, I I have all the uh, uh, the um, um, the benefits, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing unless we decide that. Um, so we're coming together this way. Um, we decide um, what our purpose is. Uh, again, deal or no deal. Uh, that is something that creates uh, something that's harder to, to to dismiss, and that is earned love. Mm-hmm. By everything we're doing every day, that is not natural for us usually and is not easy for us, but we've decided that's the bar that we're going to put. Governance means that we're giving each other permission to govern each other, tell each other what to do, we're giving each other permission to do that. Um, and we're agreeing that governance is essential in order to keep us both in line. Mm. Otherwise, we'll do damage to each other because we're selfish, self-centered, impulsive, opportunistic, never forget that, animals, right? And any other thought is naive. Um, oh, you'd never do that. Come on. Of course you would. Under the under amount, right amount of stress, you can do anything, mm-hmm. and that's been proven. So let's plan for our devils. Let's do that. And um, so we're talking about a thoughtful, purpose-led, mature, serious union that wants to not only survive but thrive. Mm-hmm. Thrive. We're gonna we're gonna provide each other the whatever we need. In order to thrive, you need uh, you need time alone. You got it, no problem, mm. no problem. Um, uh, you you should go away with your girlfriends um, or boyfriends or whatever you do. Um, our security is ensured by how we uh, um, how our commitment to each other and the seriousness by which we hold to these things. Because if either of us step out of line, we're dead. Mm. Dead as in the relationship's dead. We, yeah, we, uh, the factory stops because now we're in negotiations. Uh, um, uh, foxhole, we're, uh, it's easy to pick us off because we're fighting in our own foxhole. Um, it's dominant, right? We cannot afford that. So mm-hmm. we have to do this correctly um, because we know what we're capable of. We respect what we're capable of. And we don't forget that. And we can make anything we want and we can destroy this thing in a heartbeat. Hmm. It's a reality check. That's all. Hmm. It it's just different, and it is 
fully autonomous because I don't care what your union is based on. You could, you know, you could be, uh, you know, um, I want I got to be careful about how wild my mind goes. Um, <laughs> but you, you, you know, you, you could have any kind of arrangement you want. I right. couldn't give a shit. You just have to agree and prove that you know what you're talking about. So with governance, then are you saying that? Cause I will say the, I mean, and maybe this is again, I tend to be more of an island, but I didn't love the word governance because it definitely felt a little bit like, oh, someone's trying to govern me, I which know. kind of put my heckles into like, all right, step back. Yeah, right? you forget that is bilateral. Yeah, well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's my question, I guess. It's like now that I'm talking to you. Islands hearing... forget their agency once they get into a commitment. Well, and that's hmm. so this idea of governance, the way that I'm hearing you actually describe it sitting here feels different than even the way I was hearing it when I was when I was listening to Wired for Love, which is. It's more about, you know, we're two CEOs overseeing a a successful business versus you're going to tell me what to do and I'm going to tell you what to do, which to me felt very much like, well, you're not my parent. No, you're my equal. Yes. You're my equal. And and, um, everything we do is about order, right? We have to be together on this. Uh, Generals fight, soldiers die. Uh, Parents fight, kids suffer. Mm. Um, uh, Your work suffers. So we have to have uh, we have to have a sense of orderliness and respect for our power, mm-hmm. right? Be afraid. I have the same sledgehammer behind me that you have behind you. No bigger, no smaller. I can say you cannot do that, and if you keep doing that, I'll show you. I won't be here when you get home. Mm-hmm. That's how serious I am. That's destructive to you and to me, and you can't do it. Mm-hmm. And you can do the same thing. Well, that just feels like having an internal set of boundaries, right? I mean, because boundaries are more yeah. about what am I going to do? Like, is my sledgehammer going to actually come down or not? Because so often we talk about boundaries. Danae and I talk about this a lot. Like, it's about the other person. It's not actually about the other person. It's how you're going to respond in kind, right? Yes. Yeah. The uh, boundaries are supposed to hold a relationship in place, not get rid of it. Um, uh, my anger is supposed to hold the relationship in place, not to push you away or scare you away. Mm. right uh anger is best used as an ingredient to hold a boundary no mm. i mean it mm. i love you let's go right? <laughs> but there's uh without question i'm using my anger to set that limit the one you know about no can i ask you a question about repair Do you understand yeah. but it's pro-relationship it's not simply pro-self like if you're doing this thing, if you keep doing this thing, it's going to affect the relationship. And that's Absolutely. why I am stepping up and saying no more. Absolutely. Like you can do whatever you want ultimately at the end of the day, but you can do that at the detriment of the relationship. Yeah. Okay. But uh, you can do anything you want, but if you fuck with me, uh, remember, you're giving me permission to fuck with you. And I don't think you're going to like that. So <laughs> if you don't want me doing it, stop it now. Yeah. Or we got to talk. Yeah. Do you understand? Are you sure you're from LA? You feel very like New York, Chicago. Everyone to me. says that to me. And everyone has always said that <laughs> As to me. As an old New Yorker, I'm like, got a little bit of like a New York, Chicago. I vibe, just, actually. you know, I'm Jewish. Um, maybe that's the touch. Uh, maybe that's <laughs> a it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I've always uh, had if you a heart. Fuck with me, I'll fuck with you. I'm like, all right, well. Yeah, it is. That is, I got to say, when it comes to sex, that's kind of hot. Um, you know, having somebody who's not going to put up with something. Yeah. Uh, and we'll show you. Um, you know, um, you're not going to do that with me, motherfucker. Mm. Um, I love you. 
but I'm not going to let you burn this thing down. Mm. And messing with me like that will do it. Yeah, I I agree with you so much. And I think there's something in the sense of self that I hear yes. you describing and the nece- <sighs> necessity of that. Yes. I'm working with a couple right now, literally, that I'm thinking about as you're talking, where it almost felt like the rules and governance were what she was in resistance to. They're struggling with, you know, attempting to repair after infidelity now. And I'm I'm trying to like find my way back in through what you're saying yeah. around like how to repair with more rules of governance because right. there's just so much like his attachment firing right now is like he's like so destabilized by this, by right. the rules of governance being stepped out on that I don't really know <laughs> like you know how to get there. You know what's lovely about this um, is that if we're, if we're working in this way, we don't care if they're an island anchor, a wave, duck, or swan, if they're borderline or a narcissist or a schizoid. We don't care. Mm. You gotta do uh you gotta do this if you want this to last, or it's it's not going to. It's just not going to. Mm. Right? It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what you're doing. Mm. And if you want if you want this to work, you're gonna have to work together. You're just gonna have to. So the therapist um, is going down the middle, hitting the system, not individuals, the system, with the, uh, with the hardcore reality that the therapist is framing. Remember, the therapist is coming up with the narrative. Mm-hmm. Has to, because their narrative is messed up. So we come up with a narrative. The narrative is, um, uh, this is about survival. This is about, um, uh, you know, this is a serious thing here. It's not a luxury. You guys have to really pay attention you have to really work together or you cannot work nothing will work hmm. everyone's depending on you and right now you guys do nothing hmm. you guys settle nothing you guys um uh, don't solve problems you try to solve each other and that's war hmm. and you don't get it it will never work it'll never work um i've been uh the pandemic shifted me from thinking about um you know diagnoses uh which i still think about of course uh, and I still hold that in mind. But when dealing with, um, you know, the front line with the couple, I make it clear, it does not actually matter. If you're a human primate, you're difficult. This is everybody. Everyone's this way. Everyone is this way. Yeah. Anybody who does what the two of you do will, ha- will suffer the same fate. No different, no matter where you go on the planet. And I believe that. Mm. I have proof, right? So we can dissolve some of this and take away... Uh, uh, people's entitlements. You know, I have trauma and that's why you know, I should get a pass. No, you don't. No, you don't. You have to pull your weight. This is a team of mm. equals. No gizzies. You're not in childhood. You show up, you do it, or you don't. And nobody cares but the two of you. Mm. That's it. So I come down very hard on this because I really believe it. And I really got it during the pandemic that um, that we're... We're not doing couple therapy. Therapy, I think, has just been rubbing me the wrong way when it comes to couples. Hmm. It's couple training. It's hmm. couple workshopping. It's education. How to fucking get along and work with another person. Or don't. Or don't. Leave. Or don't. <laughs> but stop making each other miserable. Yeah, or don't. You don't want to work with me? Fine. I'm out. Love you, but no. Hmm. Um, I want somebody who will work with me. Fair. Mm-hmm. Both are fair, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I look at it very, very differently. And I know, I, I believe that 
if I can't see it, visualize it, understand it myself, I can't sell it. And I can't, um, I can't orient the couple uh, in this direction. Hmm. Right. So it's a whole different, been a whole different game for me, I think. Hmm. Um, Cause the pandemic showed me that, in couples, we don't have the luxury, like individual therapy, of doing a lot of introspection, a lot of deep work, and a lot of therapy, right? They're going to burn the house down. <laughs> I mean, they're already doing it. Right. And um, and uh, this is behavioral. This is simply bad behavior that can't work. Understandable. Understandable, because now I want my justice. I feel as we've done this so badly. All I want is my justice. I couldn't give a shit if my injustice causes you more injustice. Right. And now we're in a loop. We can't get out of that's Um, people smirking because I'm thinking about this one couple that I had like a total meltdown on (laughs) and I'm actually kind of feeling a little more justified in my meltdown now when you're talking about like, it's not really therapy. Right. And I think that's part of what I've always struggled with with working in couples is that it feels like it's, it's almost, it's like an uphill battle. Like I'm trying to work as a therapist and it's almost like there's just not enough time and both people are fighting and there's two that I, I can't focus. Right. But when I've, I've had these moments with couples where I've been like, Oh my God, enough already. You got to stop doing this shit. You got to stop. This is ridiculous. And I had this exact moment. You could save yourself energy to say, you guys got 10 minutes to solve this problem that both, both of you, uh, you have 10 minutes or less to solve this problem. Uh, and I'll be looking to see that the two of you are right as rain. You both feel great about this for now, because everything's for now. Mm-hmm. Um, and go. Hmm. And then I play it back on video. And hmm. this is why you don't get anything done. Do it again. And again. Yeah, and again. Interesting. And again. Maybe I don't hate working with couples as much as I no, thought. No. Maybe I was just trying to You got to work together or you don't work. That didn't work. You know, um, uh, that's on both of you. So I don't want to hear. Do it again. Okay. They'll do it. They'll figure it out. I'm sure. They'll do it <laughs> if the therapist is framed properly. Hmm. Uh, less energy, you know. Not as uh, frustrated, not because I yelled at a lot of people during the pandemic. I was losing my shit. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear you say that. Makes me. Feel oh bad. God, I yelled at so many people. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, because I. I I, I just, you know, here we were in a serious time and people were being so very petty mm. and they just couldn't wrap their minds around the big stuff. You know, they were just in the weeds, in the yeah. weeds constantly. And, um, uh, and uh, you know, so, uh, I, you know, I was able to learn better how to communicate this stuff that I thought I already was getting clear, but I had no way of teaching it, mm. you know. Because I was starting to understand it, but didn't mean other people could. So, uh, so now I'm, I'm more integrated with it. <laughs> but it, it, but it, it is. And I do enjoy working again, you know. Oh, right. And it does. Uh, I do spend less energy. It's <laughs> <laughs> good to know. I mean, I feel like I love where we landed, which is a little bit what I've heard Marion Williamson say like years ago was that ultimately this is about two people with a shared vision for what they want to create. And if it's not that, then what are we doing here? And right? you're going to work right. together as long as you're with me uh, because you can't afford this. <laughs> you can't afford this. You have too many things mm-hmm. you got to do and people are depending on you. So do it. I love it. 
Do it or don't. Well, we could keep you here all It does day. work, by the way. I've got so many things that we could go through, but we want to be respectful of your time. And oh, this is my favorite topic. And it's so, fun. it's so fun to be in person because you know, <laughs> most, mostly it's like online or something like that. It's kind of like, a, oh, God, is it real? No, <laughs> so real people. Real, people. real, real people. And you guys are so lovely. <laughs> Aww, all of you. We have a lightning round, though, of questions. Oh, good. Down. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Should I have some more tea? Just have, have yeah. a sip. <laughs> lightning sounds like I have to be <laughs> <Yeah>. smart. <laughs> All right, Stan. So um, who would you say have been your greatest teachers, mentors, people that have influenced your path, either people that you've known personally or their work has really influenced you up to this point? Well, when I was a child, it was Haas Cartwright. No, not Haas. It was, uh, um, wait, who's the dad? Ben? Ben. Ben. Who's the father? The patriarch. Okay. Uh -huh. I, 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 th I thought he was- We're a different generation, so I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, man, I forgot. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm old. Um <laughs> Uh, so, so I, uh, uh, as f from, uh, um, uh, Ponderosa, anyway, I, I took, you know, um, my, the father figures, uh, my father wasn't uh, a bad father figure at all, mm -hmm. but, um, but I was attracted to men, uh, father figures, men that were fair and just mm -hmm. and were, inf w did the right thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, so it starts there. Uh, and then it goes to my analyst. Um, and, uh, uh, and other therapists that I've seen, uh, over the years that saved my life. Um, uh, Jim Asterson, definitely Alan Shore, Stephen Porges, who's like my intellectual daddy. Um, love him. Um, God, there's so many people. Mm. Uh, my first, um, supervisor mm. who passed away and said to me, um, you're made for this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know all these people along the way that that um, that that channel you and, and keep you going and uh, and um, uh, otherwise I wouldn't be doing any of this. Mm -hmm. um, uh, my wife, mm -hmm. who is still someone that I look up to, and that is the exact same person I thought she was uh, when I wrote to everybody and was obnoxious and listing all her virtues. It's not uh, really, do they really want to hear me do this song? <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but she's still that person. And, um, <sighs> my couples, mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. Beautiful. um, especially the dead soldiers that I fucked up with, mm. you know, uh, we have that our failures, you know, that, mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, give us reason to do better. Yeah. yeah, it makes me want to cry. Actually, when I think mm. about it. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I love that. But uh, but I love standing on the shoulders of others, and I love knowing how I got here and what I'm made up of. Thich Nhat Han, mm. I'm Stan, made up of non-Stan <laughs> uh, elements, and I know this. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I know. After I had my baby, and I was like in the throes of it, I actually reached out to a couple women who I had specifically worked with who had who were new mothers before I was a mom. Yeah. And I actually like apologized to them for some of the yes. ways that I just was not able to be there in the way that they needed me to because I had no idea because I wasn't a mom. No. And I, I've specifically been like, I apologize. <laughs> like, I know I could have done this better. Do you ever, if people ever pop up in your mind from mm -hmm. the past, maybe you dated and everything, you think, oh God, I wish I could call and say I'm mm -hmm. sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seriously. Jeez. Sometimes yeah. I do. Huh. 
Huh? Sometimes I do. You know? Yeah, yeah. I've tried yeah. a couple of times without return calls. I'm not sure <laughs> that means... Uh, With no expectation. You're, you're dead to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With no expectation. But, okay. Uh, yeah. The second question okay. is around this idea or this concept of flow, right? So this oh, thing yes. that I'm you big just on that fall one. into yeah. and hours go by. What is that for you? What is flow for you? Well, I know flow. I know what flow for me is in the brain, if you want me to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the disconnect between uh, the areas of the uh, prefrontal cortex, the anterior cingulate and the ventral medial mm-hmm. prefrontal cortex. Any, any area that's involved in prediction and uh, inhibition, mm-hmm. um, uh, restraint, um, you want to you know, turn off. Um, and that's the flow that we love, we want to get back into during sex, mm-hmm. in music, uh, in acting, in, in, in dance, in writing, in public speaking, mm-hmm. that that um, uh, n- no self consciousness. I'm in the moment, and I am struggling, but I'm not thinking that I'm struggling. I'm struggling, and then through that pain, um, there's immense pleasure. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that. No self consciousness. Um, no self consciousness. I'm in it. I'm in real time, and I'm either. Uh, in flow with myself, my God, my person, or people around me, and um, and something is just moving through me. Mm-hmm. So, I think we all want that. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> and what breaks your heart, Stan? Today, mm. what's happening? Um, the meanness, the hatred, um, the terror that everybody seems to be operating under. Um, that makes me, that breaks my heart. Mm. It really does. Mm. Um, the news, you know, but we listen to it every day. Um, I'm a news junkie, mm. but, um, but yeah, uh, things that, things that people will have done forever and will always do, uh, horrible things that people do to each other, to children. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we'll end it on a little bit of a different note. What is your favorite food? Ice cream. Oh, oh. send without a doubt. Awesome. <laughs> that was a great And point. I'm sure it has nothing to do with mother's milk. Um, <laughs> just because I have it at night and, you know, and it's creamy and it makes me just, you know, want to curl up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and drift off to sleep. <laughs> and drift off to sleep, yes. Oh, so I'd say ice cream is, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, Stan, what an honor. Thank you so much Same for here. doing this. this. Is, you know, doing this, uh, especially with colleagues, um, I truly am a true believer, and um, but I'm always learning and growing, and I like learning, and I like doing this because it hones my thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, it challenges me to check myself, and um, but it also it's just so lovely being with friends and colleagues like mm-hmm. the two of you. Thank you. It really Thank does. you. You're lovely. I wish people could see your smiles and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 